All right, everyone. Welcome to the opening workshop of the 2016 R2 Joyful Journey Stepping into Recovery Convention. My name is Michael. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this workshop. Thank you. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we begin, we ask that all cell phones and other electronic equipment please be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please check again. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. To protect our anonymity, please no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There will be auto recordings of this workshop, which you may purchase outside of this room. This workshop will have two speakers, followed by an ask it basket question period. During the workshop, please keep the basket moving. And Larry has the basket right now, and he will keep the basket moving. The topic for this session is men, partners on the road, the principle of solidarity. We will begin with a selection from the OA 12 and 12, page 27, and Lifeline, April 2000, page 11. We can confidently face any situation life brings because we no longer have to face it alone. We have what we need anytime we are willing to let go of self-will and humbly ask for help. I am grateful to be a male OA member and feel that men in OA are courageous and gifted. Thanks to all the OA women who have loved, supported, and shared with me. Now, please join me in welcoming our first speaker, Alex. Hi, um, my name is Alex. I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, Alex. I'm grateful to be here today at the uh, convention. I'm a little nervous to be talking because I hear it's being recorded. And I'm like, oh, I, what if I say the wrong thing? And I can guarantee I'm going to say the wrong thing, and that's okay. Um, so I'm learning it's really okay to be who I am, a uh, man in OA, um, just who I am. So anyway, so I'll just try and talk about what it was like, what happened, and what things are like now. I know the focus is on men in recovery, and that's kind of the whole story for me, is um, that's just who I am. So anyways, um, I started eating, you know, like everyone else at a young age. Um, food quickly became a larger-than-life thing for me. Um, I was not really able to manage or control it in any way from a young age. And um, I'm still not able to, and that's okay now. Um, but in the beginning, I really wanted to eat everything that, um, whatever I want to eat, whenever I want to eat it. And then um, later, you know, I always told myself that if I started gaining weight or having some kind of negative consequences from the way I'm eating, that I would, like, magically change, you know, the way I was eating and not uh, using willpower or self-help books or something else that I was good at. Um, which I am good at self-will and willpower and self-help books. 
Um, so essentially, what ended up happening, um, why I'm here and not, you know, isolated in the food today, is because that strategy didn't work. So I'd keep pushing the goalposts forward, which I still do in a negative way. So like I would go, okay, like if I gain, you know, if I if I'm 200 pounds, then I'll stop eating, and then I'd be 200 pounds, and I go, well, if I'm 210 pounds, I'll stop eating. Right, And I use those terms in my head, stop eating, but I didn't say it out loud. Because if I say it out loud, it means other people can hear me and see me, and um, change might happen. See, part of it is I didn't see that whether I wanted to change my food or not, it didn't matter, because I couldn't. But I didn't know that, so I tried to, and then I beat myself up. I remember some days I would like wake up, um, before I knew I had an eating problem, I kind of intuited something was wrong with me. Um, still working the steps over what that might be. And I remember um, I would just not eat all day because that's what eating healthy meant to me is I just didn't understand the difference. Be, you know, For me, eating meant eating in an unhealthy way. There was no other way to eat um, other than binge and, and eat my binge foods. But I remember so I wouldn't eat all day and I'd be so proud of myself by 2 or 3 in the afternoon and starved that I'd go get some of my binge foods and eat them. And um, that's, that's how I was. So, yeah, eventually I decided, you know, I wanted to change my relationship with food. And I was upset to see that I couldn't uh, as much as I wanted to, as much as I could try to change what I was eating. Um, just couldn't do it. About that time, I was agnostic, um, which meant I wasn't. I wasn't sure if there was a God or not, but I was upset about it either way. Either God exists and he's a jerk, or he doesn't exist. And, and I'm, you know, I'm the greatest. So I never could quite, I remember one day asking myself, um, this voice in my head said to me, it goes, if you hate God so much, why don't you become an atheist? And I thought, that's a good idea. Um, I should do that. But then this other thought came in and it thought, yeah, but if I'm wrong, that would be really bad. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I guess. Because I thought God would be like me, would be a perfectionist and would hold everyone else and, and himself to unreasonable standards. I um, thought God would be like the ultimate macho guy who uh, was unfeeling, cold-hearted, um, these stereotypical ideals. Um, for me in OA, what I found out is a lot of my problems came from trying to be a man instead of just being who I am. A lot of them came from not being true to myself. And that's one of the forms this took, was trying to take the role of man, which for me is an outside issue. In OA, I'm a compulsive overeater first. Maleness, femaleness, my higher power transcends these things. But everyone's free to have their own higher power. Um, my higher power it doesn't care if I'm a man or a woman. Um, the most pleasing thing I can do for my higher power is be who I am. And I learned that in OA. And I'm grateful for that. So... What was happening with the food was I was gaining weight and isolating, doing the whole thing we do where we draw the shades and um, eat. And I, I used to be terrified the phone would ring because it would interrupt my food and I always hated that feeling. And um, so I just wanted, you know, and, and uh, my mom would do weird things like I'd be eating um, a loaf of something, like a loaf or two. And she'd come and she'd go, oh, like, what are you afraid of right now? And I'd think, you know, I'm afraid that you're going to bother me while I'm eating because... I'm trying to eat this loaf of my binge food. Or she'd, she'd be eating something out of the freezer, and she'd go, oh, like, what are you feeling right now? And I'd think, like, I'm feeling like I don't want you to bother me because I'm eating. Because that's the only time I feel good is when I'm eating. See, because I was miserable all the time, 
I had nothing to, nothing to go by. I was doing the best I could. Um, so anyways, men things, I was not really sure what to say exactly other than um, what ended up happening was I, I stopped being agnostic or after a series of events. Um, someone told me, I, I started getting involved in an outside self-help technique that had to do with letting go of, um, letting go by feeling, feeling the feelings. And um, I'm not going to say what it is, obviously, but I started doing that, and the guy who created that said, um, he goes, yeah, we're all looking for the same thing. Secular people call it happiness. Um, in certain religions, they call it enlightenment, and others, they call it God. And that's when I got, like, we're all looking for the same thing. That's my understanding. Maybe we're not. Maybe there's some people who are, who are not. Um, but for me, it was the understanding that we're all looking for something um, I got, oh, so they call it God, good for them, I'll believe in God. And suddenly years of resentment disappeared in an instant. Um, what I'm saying is God works in my life whether I'm in OA or not. But OA does something very special that I need. And God brought me into OA because I need the help that OA has and I need to stay here. And I like what I like about the 12-step programs is we don't say we have the only solution. What I do say is in OA I found a solution that works for me one day at a time. And, it, and and if it works for me, I was like really hopeless. Um, there's no way I was ever going to change the way I was eating. Uh, never. Not even if I want to, I couldn't. But that's happened. And if it could happen for someone like me, it could happen for anyone. And I guess that would be the thing, is that when men come in the rooms, and there's men in these rooms who are working this program, when I came in, there was, there was like, I remember I went to my first meeting. I was assuming it would just be a cross-section of society. But I came in, it was all middle-aged women. And, and I also thought that everyone there would um, love this um, big chain retailer that I love, too. And everyone hated it. And so I was like, these people aren't at all like I thought they would be. Like, so everyone here, um, I, and I remember just feeling like it was strange that it was all middle-aged women. And, and um, then I thought, I guess I'm like, maybe it's an anomaly. So I went to another meeting, and it was all middle-aged women. I thought, what is it, like, men don't have this problem? Like, this is weird. But quickly got used to just the fact that OA is what OA is, and it's what I need. And it, working the steps in OA has given me something very special and unique and different. Um, it's like I need to work these steps the OA way. Um, this is what my higher power wanted for me. Um, so anyways, yeah, so... Um, Started getting into these weird spiritual things, and one of one of the guys that I was following his teachings said, um, "Someone asked him, what do you do if you're like miserable and you want to be happy?'" And he's like, "You need to find out what you're addicted to and join a 12-step program." And I thought that was cool because I wasn't an alcoholic. I, I thought I wasn't an alcoholic, so I was safe. And then he's like, "Well, there's like you know, Narcotics Anonymous, there's Alcoholics Anonymous." He goes, "There's Overeaters Anonymous," and I was like, "Oh." Shoot, like he called my number. Like I was, I was crestfallen. I was like, oh shoot, like I might actually have to, that's scary. Because you know what you guys do in OA, like you, you have like people that you talk to and you, you share all your secrets with someone and, and you apologize to the people that you hurt and I'm like, I don't, doesn't sound so good. Um, it doesn't sound, so I started checking out the meetings. Um, and come in, trend, you know, in the first, my first week, I took on a service commitment to secretary meeting. And, and um, I ended up helping kill the meeting by um, self-will. I would, like, ad-lib the script, you know. I'd try and be cute and funny and change the words around. And 
um, I remember the, the meeting, it just wasn't healthy because it wasn't the group conscience. It was like I was sharing, um, I wanted you all to think I was cute and funny and, and really care about the group conscience, which is in the script. That's that's the voice of the group. Um, so things like that. But I, the only thing I did right was I kept coming back no matter what. Um, Ten minutes left? Oh, good. Only eight minutes left. That's great. Thanks. Yeah, so... Um, I got a few sponsors, but really never started working the steps with them. I had a food sponsor, and what I started doing is I'd come to meetings and I'd lie. Like, I'd do three sugar binges a day, and that was my abstinence. So I'd come to the meetings, I'd talk about how great I was feeling and how great this program is, and I gained about 30 pounds in my first two years in OA, which is good because I needed that experience because I didn't think I had a real problem the first two years, and if I did think I had a real problem, I didn't want to believe it because that would mean things might change, they might get better. See, I'm, I don't know about anyone else in OA, but for me, I'm addicted to misery. I'm addicted to the soundtrack of suffering. Um, I'm in recovery for that. I'm addicted to the, to the real exciting payoff I get from my negative emotions. And it's funny that I'm so addicted to it that I use food to try and control it, and I can't handle my food either. I need a 12-step program to recover. It's like, wow, like... That's uh, how, for me, how deeply this goes. It's not just that I want to be happy. It's that I equally don't want to be happy. I equally enjoy being miserable. Um, so I, I'm powerless over that. I can't handle it. But eventually this guy called me. This is where the men thing comes in. So I had female sponsors in OA, but I just never got into working the steps or getting honest about my food. Um, and so finally this one guy called me and he was looking for a food sponsor where I got abstinent. We had food sponsors who we'd call our food into and they'd talk about our food. And then we had a step sponsor that we'd work the steps with. So he called, hey, can you help me out as, a, as your uh, um, food sponsor? Can, can, uh, can you food sponsor me? And I was like, yeah, I'll help this guy out, sure. You know, I'm a helpful guy. I know a lot about recovery. And sure, I'll help you. And, and then he said, by the way, do you have a step sponsor? And I said, no. And he said, well, I'm willing to sponsor you if you want. And I was like, oh, no. Like, one, like, like I, I, didn't, I didn't think, like, I thought I was so spiritual, I didn't need his help. <laughs> and then I thought that, um, you know, I had it made. But also I was afraid that if I started working these steps, things might change. And so um, I remember, though, that moment having the opportunity to tell him, like, no thanks, like, I'm good. But realizing, like, I've been hanging out in OA for two years. I've been watching people come in and get well and work these steps. And it's like, I'm not doing that. Thanks. So, <clears throat> so I said yes, even though I didn't want to. Something made me say yes. And this guy, he's like, well, good, get that, like, that workbook. I thought it was a stupid workbook. But he's like, get the workbook. And so I got the workbook. And then I started answering the questions in it. And... Um, then, you know, sometime around step three, and I'd share the answers with him. And sometime around step three, I was on a three or four day sugar bender where I was just going nuts because I stopped doing three meals a day and started eating all day because I felt like it was more, um, I thought it was more natural for me. So, um, so I did that and I was on this bender and um, couldn't stop, of course. And, and the third or fourth day, right there on step three, um, I was driving through this town. Um, called Watsonville on the freeway, and just out of the blue, suddenly I just got um, this awareness that I could let go right now and never have to eat sugar again. It was like I'd been trapped on a train that had been riding in the in the night for a long time, 
and suddenly it pulled into a station and the doors opened and the sun was shining outside of the train. And it was like, you can get off now. Like right now you can just as easily as moving from like here to like just taking a step. Um, I can just let go. And so I did. I said yes. And and because um, I got that if I let these doors close, I don't know how long it's going to be until they open again. I don't know if they'll ever open again. If I go back to the food the way I was doing it, I don't know if I'll ever get out of it. Um, but what I got too is is I only have a daily reprieve. So any day I could go back. I lost the craving and the compulsion for my binge food that was killing me that day. Um, and that's when I started my abstinence. Um, that's when I started counting my abstinence. So that was June 15th, give or take a day, 2010. Um, which is for me an example of the power of God. It's an example of the power of OA. That effortlessly it was able to accomplish what I was completely unable to do all those years. Um, and it didn't happen until the time was right. It happened when I found a man and started working the steps with him. Even though I didn't believe it would work for me. Even though I thought, you know, maybe it'll work for all of you, but my problem's special. Or um, that's, um, that's essentially when it started. Since then, my food has gradually grown cleaner. It's never been perfect. Um, had some like scary times. I ended up, depending on like what week it is, it said um, I've ended up losing somewhere between 65 and 70 pounds in a way, which is a lot to some people, but not a lot to others. And I'm finding it's not a program of comparing myself to others. It's not even a program of comparing myself to myself. Like who I am today is enough that I don't need to constantly be looking back at how I was in the past. I used to do that all the time when I was a teenager. I'd get a new self-help book, and I'd be reading it, and then I would compare myself. I'd be like, I'm so much better now than I was two weeks ago. And I'd be like, yeah, now that I got this understanding, I'm like, yeah. And I, I find I do that in recovery, and it, it doesn't really leave a lot of space for God to enter my life. And, and this loving higher power that I found, um, I like to call that higher power God. Two minutes left? Thank you. Um, so I like to call that power God, and it's convenient, and um, even though there's a lot of misunderstandings I feel about, um, like I thought God was some angry crank who was just wanting to make me suffer, but it was me who was enjoying my suffering, not God. God's just like the ultimate, um, the ultimate gentle. I'll let you keep doing what you're doing until you're ready to ask me for help. I'll just let you be you. You have the dignity of being who you are. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to use that to hurt myself. So anyways, who I am today is enough. Um, the way God is creating me in this instant is enough. And I don't need to be really a critic of my higher power's handiwork. But what I do get to do is become gradually more honest about my food, about my behavior, about the way I treat others, about the way my thinking works. And that I've found in the steps. I've started to heal the underlying defects of character and I feel comfortable calling them defects and I'll close with this because they're not who I am they're, they're aspects of my disease or my ego who I call Fido so they come up I'm like oh Fido like good boy you know uh, the dignity of someone told me give, give, your, give your disease the dignity of giving it a name um, he likened it to a cow with a runny nose he's like if you have a cow with a runny nose and you beat it every day for five years, after five years you have a cow with a runny nose. 
So that's what this program is doing, is loving me and until I can love myself and um, showing me where to look for it through the steps within from uh, my loving higher power that you've all shown me by showing me your higher power and your recovery, showing me where to look. Um, it's, it's wonderful to be here with, with men. I apologize I didn't talk about men much. I kind of just talked about one man, myself, who I think about all day. But he's all right, and I um, appreciate your, uh, your recovery lifting me up every day, even though most of us have never met. It's just the way I understand it. Um, so thank you for helping me stay abstinent today. And um, My name is Alex, and I'm a compulsive overeater. All right. Thank you, Alex. Um, let's thank you, Larry. Let's uh, have the basket basket circulate uh, for our, during our next speaker as well. Please join me in welcoming our second speaker, Scott. How's that sound? Yeah. All right. So my name is Scott, and I am a compulsive overeater. Hi, hey, everyone. Here's some proof if you need that. I would like those back afterwards. I trust I'll get them. So just quickly, I was asked to qualify, so I want to do that up front. Um, I came to my first OA meeting on Friday, March 2nd, 2001. I was 28 years old. I was still living at home with my parents. I had no driver's license. I didn't have a college degree. I had never gone on a date. I had never kissed anyone. I had never made love. I was never in a romantic relationship. Um, I was 315 pounds, and my life consisted of food, TV, and suicidal ideations. That was my life at 28. Um, as an added bonus, I also had about $25,000 in debt, most of that credit card debt, and my credit score was in the low 200s. Um, what happened was, in February of 2001, I agreed to be a part of this outpatient group therapy setting. And while there... I developed a crush on a woman who was there for the same reasons as me. Within about a week, we developed uh, a friendship. And one day, she randomly invited me to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting. And I said, yeah, I'll go with you. But I didn't say yes because I was eating out of my garbage can every night or racking up you know, debt to buy my junk foods at night because I couldn't keep a job. I said yes because I wanted to hang out with her. So we planned for this Friday evening meeting at St. Luke's Hospital in San Francisco. That meeting is no longer happening, by the way. And uh, we're all set to go. Before we can get to that meeting, we had a falling out and decided it's probably not the best thing to attend that meeting together. So that Friday night rolls around, and as usual, I had nothing planned. And something in me said, just check it out. It can't hurt. And I've never stopped coming back. That was over 15 years ago. Um, I, in the retrospect, I now see that as my first God moment, first positive God moment. So that's what I was like, and that's what happened. What I am like now, um, 
I'm almost 44 years old. I have lived on my own for the last 14 years. Uh, I got a Class M driver's license and then a Class C driver's license. After 19 and a half years, that's 39 semesters, I got my AA degree from City College of San Francisco. Two and a half years after that, I got my bachelor's from SF State. And then eight months after that, I began my master's degree. As we sit here now, I'm over halfway done with my master's in clinical rehabilitation and mental health counseling. Nine classes away, in fact. I have gone on dates. I've kissed. I've made love. I have been in romantic relationships, and I've gone through breakups as well. As of three months ago, my credit score is 809. A lot of people, I guess there's a thing where 800's the highest, and now you can kind of go above that. And as of last October, for the first time in my adult life, I have zero credit card debt. So as you can see, this fellowship has brought to me a lot of gifts. And a lot of these things are typically people do in their teens and 20s and 30s. Well, here I am, latecomer, but at least I'm a comer. Um, the other thing is I have had 18 medical and psychiatric conditions completely heal just by overhauling my nutrition. That is a literal statement. No doctors, no therapists, no nutritionists, no medication, no exercise, no surgery. Just overhauling my nutrition. Uh, overhauling my nutrition means three things. But at the top of that list is looking at what I eat and what I drink. And that all stems from this fellowship. I will go to my grave saying that the greatest thing I've ever done in my life is give up refined sugar. That was March 26th, 2001. Um, it's not the most difficult thing I've given up, by the way. It's the third most difficult, but it is the most important because it proved to me that I can actually have some success around this if I'm willing to, to put the work in. And it proved to me that a lot of my previous I can'ts were more like I won'ts, and there is a difference between the two. The two. Um, so that's my qualification, and I'm just going to say this one last piece just to give you all a heads up. Um, about two and a half years ago, I had to make a really difficult decision. I decided to get off of my 20th and final psychotropic medication. About 27 months has passed since I embarked on that journey, and I still have tons of withdrawal symptoms. Namely, physical pain 24-7, even as I stand here now. So if you see me up here later on or in another room kind of rubbing my shoulder and my neck and kind of moving around, that's why. The pain literally does not stop until my body is done healing and then it's done. But I'm not there yet, even three years in at the beginning of year three of this process. So just wanted to put that out as information. Um... Men, all right. Here, here's my thing. and I hate men. I really hate men. I, I think men are the cause of uh, just so much of the stuff I see out in the world that I truly despise and all the misogyny out there. And I feel like men make it hard for guys like me to date. And... Um, but you know what I hate even more than that, than, than even what I hate more than men is uh, in the last 15 years in this fellowship, 
I hate the fact that all of you have been slowly proving me wrong about the way I have viewed men for a very long time. And, you know, on one hand, I would love for men to knock off the nonsense. But on the other hand, I need you all to keep being a-holes so I can continue being right. I mean, there's something really backwards and upside down and screwy about that, right? But at least now I'm awake to it. So um, let me give you a little bit of a background of why I hate men so much. And, uh, you know, it begins at age four. Uh, my dad worked for the government, and on Sunday mornings, he would play basketball with some of his coworkers near the Embarcadero Center, or um, the, down that way, where AT&T Park now, now is. And after he was done at the gym, we would do two things that I really enjoyed. One is he would drive us back home, but like he would drive under the Bay Bridge. And as a four-year-old, I love the fact that we can drive under the Bay Bridge and not be in the water or anything. That was just such, such a big deal to me. The other thing is we would go to what I believe is the oldest taqueria in San Francisco. And this is where my dad became my first binge buddy. Um, unfortunately, it was also at age four when I learned that my dad was a rageaholic. I did not know that term, rageaholic, back then, and neither did my mom or sister. Um, when you're that young and you don't really talk about stuff anyway beyond anger, you kind of learn to survive using code words. So oftentimes I would come back from school. This is like after kindergarten. I started kindergarten, and my mom um, would meet me at the front door and stop me, take me into my bedroom and say, he's mad. And I learned that he's mad meant he was in the midst of a rageaholic episode. And that meant leave him alone, let him break the things in the house, and in about two or three days, he'll talk to us again. And um, I did that for a long time. And my sister soon, uh, soon learned the lingo too, what he's mad meant. In sixth grade at age 11, I met binge buddy number two, who I would later refer to as my childhood abuser. You know, I'm not really sure why this guy loved beating the crap out of me physically, financially, mentally, and verbally. And ultimately, it doesn't matter why. But he did. And it really affected me and the way I viewed males in this world. Um... It got to the point where this, you know, I would go to school and get the crap beat out of me physically, verbally, mentally, and financially here and there. And then I'd come home and maybe I'd get the crap beat out of me or at least witness some rageaholic, you know, stuff going on with my father. And in a weird way, the unknown with my dad was more painful than the guaranteed beatdown at school. So you learn how to survive in this world. And for me, that largely entailed eating, sleeping, and just general isolating in my bedroom. So um, that's that. So I got about eight minutes left, and I'm watching the, watching the time here. So here's the thing. So in my mid-20s, I made a decision about men, and that's that I was going to associate with men as little as possible. You know, I purposely befriended women. And if, you know, if the choice was between a man or no friends, I would choose no friends. 
you know, I've, I've become really closed-minded about men and my prejudice towards, you know, males. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, about six years ago, I had a huge turning point around that. Um, God willing, in about a week and a half, I'll be celebrating six years of abstinence. Before this current stretch of back-to-back abstinence, I spent seven years in relapse mode. Um, you know, I came in, got absent right away for about two and a half years, then seven years in relapse mode, and then the last almost six years abstinent. Um, at the end of that seven-year period in relapse where I, you know, gained about half the weight that I initially lost, and I, you know, I saw that a lot of these gifts I received from the program were slowly slipping away from me, and I just felt so desperate. So I ended up doing something that was very difficult and very humbling. There's a man in OA where I live with a lot of recovery, physical and beyond. And I was always afraid to ask him to sponsor me. I always settled for less because, you know, God bless the the other nine guys I've worked with. But this one guy would have given me the butt kicking that I need. And I was afraid of that. But any time, you know, it's kind of like desperateness creates a new kind of open-mindedness, I think. And at that point, it's like, you know what? Ask the guy. So I did on a Wednesday evening. He said, sure, why not? And he got me to look at alcoholic ingredients beyond refined sugar that I was never willing to look at before. And I did that. And I started to feel better. I started to feel less anxiety, less anger, less resentment. I started to lose more weight, which I'm not going to lie, that's a big thing to keep me in these rooms. And um, I started to share more at at meetings. And um, then it was ready to do honest and thorough step work for the first time in my life. I did step work before, but it was not honest and thorough. I purposely left out things that I thought I needed to go to my grave with. So with this gentleman, uh, I did that. And, you know, some of my stuff with men, particularly my father and the quote-unquote childhood abuser, came up in my fourth-step inventory. And I needed to slowly make some changes around that. And it's been a struggle, but it definitely is happening. Um, You know, I'm proud to say that what I am like now in terms of my relationships with men, there's a couple of things. One is I have like five close friends in this world. Two of them are men, and two of them are men I met in this fellowship. You know, these men are kind. These men talk about their feelings. They don't use the B word all the time. They don't engage in misogyny, at least not around me. And, uh... I feel really comfortable being around these guys. We can hug each other and not be worried about someone else making a homophobic slur around us. You know, it's, it's really healthy. It feels healthy. And I've never really had that before. And I think a part of that is I was not open to that possibility for a long time. So as you see, I've needed to take, take some more positive risks around men. And two of the gifts are two of my closest friends in the world today. The other thing that changed uh, was I started sponsoring men about six years ago. For a long time, I would only sponsor women because of my hatred for men. 
Uh, today, I have three male sponsors. Uh, one of them calls me six times a day before and after each meal. Another one texts me as food for the day every morning, and the third one texts me three to four times a day to re report his food. And they're all wonderful men. They're all wonderful human beings, actually. So um, that was another big change for me. And here's the other thing. In the summer of 2011, I was at a restaurant with my better half and her grandson. Yes, she has a grandson. And in walks the childhood abuser. And I said to my better half, that's so-and-so. That's him. And she smiles and says, so what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. What do you think? She said, I don't know. And I said to her, I'm going to recite the third step prayer right now. Excuse me. So I do that to myself. And I said to her, I'm going to go up and talk to him. So I did. And I said, hey, uh, said his name. And do you remember me? I'm Scott. He said, oh, yeah. In fact, I was thinking about sending you a Facebook friends request recently. And um, we stood there in that restaurant speaking for about 10 to 15 minutes. And uh, he was about 380 pounds. His skin and teeth were messed up. He was stuttering a lot. And he couldn't maintain eye contact with me. I looked at him the whole time, um, and I listened to what he had to say about his family and things that had been going on, and I was not stuttering. I maintained eye contact, and I just listened, no judgment. That night, when I'm doing my nighttime prayer ritual, I list people that I resent, and this guy was on my list for about 10 years at that point. So every night, 10 years, praying for this guy to be well. That night, his name naturally did not come up in my prayers. The next day, I noticed that. And to me, that meant I had forgiven him. And talk about freedom. Uh, talk about freedom. It was also around that time that I was able to forgive my dad. And I'll wrap up with this one last piece, which is, I'm a month away from being 44. I've never loved my dad more. And I'm not his God. I'm not anyone's God. I let him talk the way he wants, and I just listen. And that's one way of me making living amends to him. I just let him be who he is, this 400-pound compulsive overeater who loves drama. And step seven says, I'm not God. You know what? I need to let him be who he is and not change him. Anyway, I hope that was helpful, and thank you for listening. Great. Thank you, um, Scott. All right. Let's thank our speakers for sharing their experience, strength, and hope as they take a seat on the stage for the Ask It Basket questions. Okay. So um, here are the questions. We'll start and see how many we can get through. Um, you, you both can share, or if somebody just wants to take the question themselves. What are the top three priorities for an overwhelmed newcomer? What are the top three priorities for an overwhelmed newcomer? 
Well, I mean, I was once an overwhelmed newcomer, and that's not an easy answer, the uh, question to answer. But one thing that helped me a lot is to just keep attending meetings. You don't have to share. You don't have to do anything. Just sit there. Isolation. I'm a professional isolator. I'm good at being alone and keeping to myself, even with my female friends. And um, for me to commute to a meeting, sit in a meeting for an hour or longer, and then commute home, that was a big deal. And, um, you know, even 15 years in, I'm about two weeks away from completing a 365 and 365. I've gone over 400 meetings in the last 12 months. And it's because I'm still a professional isolator. So that's what I would recommend for an overwhelmed newcomer. Just show up. It's a baby step that will help you to the next baby step. That was my experience. Um, that's just one answer. I don't have like a top three, but. Yeah, um, much like Scott was saying, I, I remember um, for me, just coming to the meetings being enough in the beginning. And my first food sponsor, she would always tell me to pray about things. So I wouldn't have to really worry about it alone. Um, good question. All right, great. Uh, next question. What's the one thing you did that helped you work the strongest program possible? What's the one thing you did that helped you work the strongest program possible? Um, I can't say there was one specific thing because for me – um, I don't know how to put it. The the steps in recovery for me are not linear. It's not this and this and then I'll I'll go here and do this. But it happens in my higher powers time. But for me, it catalyzed when I was um, I had gotten I'd been abstinent for about two, I think something like two years, and then um, gave up one particular binge food, not realizing it was a binge food. I just realized like I couldn't um, manage it. And um, when the way that happened, though, um, is I talked with someone in the program, and he told me basically that that um, the way to solve the problem I was complaining to him about was uh, with a higher power and a solid program, and that hurt my feelings because what it meant was that I wasn't working a solid program, and um, so I got on my knees there in the driveway and I asked him, I asked my higher power, I said, God, please. Uh, Show me all the obstacles that stand between me and you and me working a solid program. Um, and then my life completely fell apart within, you know, within a month of giving up that one food. So for me, I never know what a particular ingredient is um, holding together that's not working for me or how I'm using food. Um, and that's when you know, I ended up almost killing myself. Um, I remember I had lost, I lost my appetite during that time. For the first time in my life, there wasn't enough food to heal the inner pain of being the way I was. And that's when um, OA kept me eating. Like OA keeps me from eating too much. It also keeps me from under eating because um, I would not want to eat, but then I'd remember all of you. So the main thing, um, it, I don't know if it's willingness or it feels more like ripeness, like coming to meetings, like doing service, doing the steps, having a sponsor, doing these suggestions um, lends itself to fertilizing, to floundering, little plant that I am in recovery. And all I can do is keep giving it fertilizer, water, and sunshine. Fertilizer, water, and sunshine. Until eventually the plant can grow. 
But I can't, you know, I can't force one single thing to work my program any better today than I than I possibly can. Great. Um, when did you uh, did you find any ways or areas that men relate to the OA program differently than women? Did you find that there are any ways or areas that men relate to the OA program differently than women? No, it's all the same. We're all compulsive overeaters, regardless of our equipment, huh? Okay. Let's move on to the next one then. How many times have you worked the steps? And what's the thing you are just now starting to see or understand? How many times have you worked the steps and what's the one thing that you are now starting to see or just understand? So I've only done one honest and thorough fourth step inventory and I believe that steps four and five are key to doing an honest and thorough steps six, seven, eight, and nine because a lot of that info comes from my inventory. Um, I have done 3,000 pages of 10 steps, so I've done a lot of those. you know, I've done step one work around various things from, you know, alcoholic ingredients to fear and Facebook and all that stuff. Um, well, what was the other part of the question? Read it one more time. I just lost it. How many times, How many you- times have you worked the steps and what's the one thing that you've just started to see oh. Well, the, the one thing I'm just starting to see and understand is what I talked about with regards to men and just how that has really deeply impacted my life. And, you know, um, you know, when I was asked to speak at this event, I did not expect to be, uh, you know, I was kind of prepping for this thing earlier and, and yesterday and earlier in the month. It's like, wow, a lot of this stuff is coming up that I never thought about at this level. So, um also, I have a long history of trading addictions. That's another thing that's come out of my step work. Even within this fellowship, when I gave up sugar in 2001, you know, it got to the point where I was drinking two and a half gallons of diet soda per day. So I just switched addictions, that's all. So that's another thing. Great. This will be the last question, and it's for Alex. Alex, did you seek out men to be your sponsor when you first came to OA, or did it make any difference? Alex, did you seek out men to be your sponsor when you first came to OA, or did it make any difference? Um, no, I didn't. I didn't seek out men. I kind of looked around. Um, I didn't see many men where I got into OA, and uh, it was actually a man who sought me out. So, I, you know, my my first food sponsor was a woman, and she said, "Hey, just pray for a sponsor. Just ask God to give you the right sponsor." And I did that. And um, eventually this guy called me. But thanks for the question. Great. Thank you. All right. It is now time to close this session. If everyone would please stand, form a circle, join hands, and we'll close with the serenity prayer. Thank you for attending uh, the men's solidarity meeting.
keep coming, coming back. back. It works. Bill and Larry, thank you for helping with the basket. Thank you, Thank you all for Thank you, thank you.